All right. So, <laughs> we're back into conversation on the road to Emmaus number two. I'm giggling because the guy who requested today's topic didn't make it. <laughs> Last week we had an interaction. You guys said, I asked you guys some questions about where you are in your spiritual journey. I told you we would dive into those. He came up to me afterwards. He goes, I requested this one. Can you make sure you do it next Sunday so I can be there? Sure. He's not here. Okay. So this will be fun. He gets to watch it later on Facebook or something. So here's how this works. We are calling this series Conversations on the Road to Emmaus, and it is meant to be a conversation. Yes, I am going to teach, but also looking for some interaction on this because one of the beauties of the, of the metaphor of the road to Emmaus story in the New Testament is it was two disciples of Jesus literally on a faith journey on the road to Emmaus with Jesus where he's unpacking scripture and telling them all about why he's the Messiah and they're learning as they go and they didn't even realize God was with them. There's so many ways that it parallels our own faith walk. But the key part is they were on a journey together. Christianity and our faith is not a destination you arrive to when you're 13 and now you're done and you don't have to worry about Jesus anymore. It is an on going conversation with God and with each other. Because there are times in those journeys where we need somebody to actually help us down the road too. You know, to walk alongside us, maybe to even uphold and support us as we journey together. And so we're playing that out by interacting as we teach, which means it's a little bit on you to actually ask or answer questions. So there's the disclaimer. Y'all know what imposter syndrome is? You ever experience imposter syndrome? The de technical definition, at least the one I found, is it refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. Let me read that again, and I'll read a little bit more too. It refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others believe you to be. And this is normally applied to intelligence or achievement, but it has links to perfectionism. Right? So there's this internal voice that, go, that says, I am afraid I will be found out. They just think I'm a good person. They just think I'm intelligent. They just think I've got them all fooled. And on the inside, we're deeply terrified of being discovered. That's the way they call it. They call it imposter syndrome. Like, I'm pretending to be somebody I'm not. Whew. Now, can you imagine, how would you apply that to our spiritual life? This came up in the conversation a little bit last week. When you start comparing yourself to other believers, how do you think, this is where you start answering, how do you think imposter syndrome would relate to our Christian faith walk? By the way, no true confessions, just what do you think? Okay? We're not asking you to go, yes, I have this, none of that. But, hey, I can see how it would be this way for somebody. Yeah. 
But certainly the counter to it, right? To, to realize that you're part of a body of Christ ought to be a foil to what we're talking about. But what's the reality? Nobody's ever felt like they're just not good enough where God's concerned? Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It does, absolutely. So we think, and we struggle with this, and, and, and individualism that you referred to may be more cultural than Christian, by the way, right? So as American Christians, we're supposed to be independent and strong and faithful in Christ. And if we're not, something's wrong with us and we hope nobody discovers it. And at some point, there's a diminishing return for how much better Christian can you be, right? Like, <laughs> or your pastor can't possibly treat everybody's spiritual ale, but you may have the best, you may have a B-plus pastor and that's okay, right? I'm thinking that's how, but as a pastor, I will tell you that imposter syndrome is a very real thing. Because your pastors, myself included, are not perfect. But there's a couple of pieces to this. A, we're expected to be, <laughs> because we're pastors. At least culturally, in a cultural sense, like, wait, you don't know everything about the Bible? Maybe that's kind of what you're talking about too, Jordan, right? Nope, there's things in here, and I go, I don't know, <laughs> right? Wait, I still have moral failure? Yep, I'm not perfect either, kind of thing. And so as a pastor carrying that around, knowing you're not perfect, knowing you don't know everything, but your congregation expects that of you, they think I'm a good pastor. This is how it plays out in your head. They think I'm a good pastor, but if they really knew me, I'd be exposed. Now, I don't know if that plays out in your own personal spiritual walk. Everybody thinks I'm a good mom or a good dad or a good engineer or whatever, or I'm a good Christian, but if they really knew me, it'd be trouble, <laughs> right? Because nobody is perfect, but there is that pressure. Now, what does that pressure do? How does that pressure play out? It means when we come to church, how do we answer every question about how we're doing? Always positive, right? For the most part, unless it's somebody you really do trust and know, when you see people at church, how you doing? I'm fine. And you're a complete basket case on the inside, but you can't bring that facade to church because Jesus' people are supposed to have it all figured out. In fact, non-Christians often think Jesus' people think they think they're perfect. We've just blown that up. We may put the perfect front on, but we know we're not. Are you going to say something? <laughs> I thought you were raves in your hand. Sorry about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there's two challenges going on, right? We're supposed to, A, model Christ in culture. You've heard that said, right? We're supposed to look like Jesus to other people, which is true. But what happens when we don't? We feel a little guilty because we're putting out a bad image. So what's our solution to that? It's not become more like Jesus. Our solution is to fake it. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I have this all figured out. I'm going to pretend I'm perfect. And then when somebody who's genuinely trying to understand what a relationship with Christ looks like, we put out this grandiose, everything will be awesome if you just come to Jesus' false promise. How many times have you heard a gospel presentation that says, if you accept Christ, he has a perfect plan for your life and everything will be awesome? Right? Which, okay, there's some spiritual truth in that. But if you accept, if that's your premise for accepting Christ, and then five weeks later your house burns down, your wife leaves you, and your, your life has become a country song, what do you think about God at that point? Right? You dog, your dog died, your wife left you, your house burned down, you lost your job. You know, like, then where is Jesus in that equation? Becomes the answer, right? Because the pastor told me that if I follow Jesus, he has a perfect plan for my life and everything will be wonderful, and it's not. What's the logical conclusion? God's a liar or not real? And I was sold a bill of goods. Right? Ironically, Jesus actually says, you will have trouble. He actually says, if you follow me, it'll be rough. He makes the opposite promise. They will hate you because of me, is exactly the way he phrases it. Yikes. Sign up for that. Here's, here's the next gospel presentation. Follow Jesus and the whole world will hate you. Can you sign up? You know what I mean? Like, that's not what we hear, right? There will be trouble. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You've heard those scripture verses, right? So this promise of, I follow Jesus, everything's going to be pump, pump, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns, is a false promise. Especially when, we meet, when our relationship meets reality and it doesn't play out the way we expected it to. What's it supposed to be like? Or what's it like really to be a Christian? I heard, I'm sorry? I heard an answer from somewhere or a conversation in the lobby, one of the two. What's it like to be a Christian really? Right. It's not easy. You going to say something, Jordan? You're good. Sure. Yeah, one of the things that we're taught when we're teenagers and you come to faith, and a lot of people come to faith when they're under 18, by the way, the vast majority do, is that I've been bad, 
Jesus forgives me, now I have to be good or perfect. And, that's, and so when we still struggle with sin, we think, I must not be a real Christian. That's why they go down front for every single altar call, is because they've sinned again since the last one. <laughs> right? If I was a real Christian, I wouldn't sin. So something must be wrong with me. And there comes that imposter syndrome again, right? I either need to pretend I don't sin, or I begin to believe I must not really be a Christian. Yikes. And when some, you know people who are spiritual, we talked about this last week, people who just like have the gift of prayer and they just drop to pray at the, heart, at the drop of a hat and they, they, their words are like, how did you learn how to pray like that? You know what I mean? And you're like, That's, I'm not like that. Here comes this comparison game, right? Not only am I a fraud, look how spiritual and awesome they are. Why can't I be like them? Why am I not better Christian like them? And, and Jordan's bringing up some great points. You don't just erase, you erase sin in terms of the penalty the day you become a Christian, but you don't automatically erase the anchor or the hold that sin has in your life, that becomes a process. Remember, we said this is a conversation on the road to Emmaus. And part of the journey is, the church word for it is sanctification. It is the continual struggle, the continual removal of sin as you become more and more like Jesus. It's not an instant wash. Go through the car wash and now you're clean. If it worked that way, my job would be very easy. Right? I'm a pastor like, do you know Jesus? Cool, you'll stop sinning. Next, that'd be the end of my job. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. And Jordan brings up a great point about support, right? When somebody can look into your life and go, have you considered that this sin is really a surface symptom of something much deeper that's going on inside of you? Let's deal with that. That's not a slow, that's not an instantaneous process. That's not a, boop, I'm a Christian now, I'm Jesus-like. It is an ongoing struggle to remove sin from your life. And we get into the trap of the way we're supposed, we think we're supposed to appear versus how we, we feel, or the trap of comparing ourselves to other people and we're not as spiritual as them. If that's the reality, then the question really becomes, what can we do about it? So I'm going to read a selection of passages to you. Did I type them in? That would be a lot faster. I did. I have a Bible here, but they're in front of me because I'm going to do like multiple verses instead of skipping around, I mean, instead of reading. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, so if anyone is in Christ, there is, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Wait, Charlie, I thought you said it's not instant wash, right? <laughs> you are a new creation, but what has changed? What has changed is your identity, <clears throat> where God's concerned, your record, where God's concerned, and your heart towards sin. Remember, I said the struggle was, man, I'm still screwing up, what's wrong with me, right? That's kind of the wording. That phrase is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hear that. It's imposter syndrome a little bit, but the fact you're concerned about how God sees you is what we call conviction. If you don't have Jesus and your heart's not been regenerated and you've not been made new, do you care what God thinks about you? No. Right? What has changed, what has been made new is your heart attitude towards sin. It doesn't mean you'll perfectly not sin, but now you're like, oh, <laughs> I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, if they knew me, they'd know I'm not perfect. 
You care because the Holy Spirit's at work. You've got a new identity. So what you first have to do to deal with this comparison or this, this spiritual imposter syndrome is you've got to learn to see yourself the way God sees you. We tend to see ourselves the way we see. We know ourselves better than anybody. But when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, essentially. He sees the new creation. He sees the forgiven person. He sees the person trying not to fall back into certain sins. That's who God sees. And if God doesn't expect us to be insta-wash now perfect, then why do we expect that of ourselves? If God knows we're still going to sin, and He's gracious to forgive us if we confess that sin, that ought to help us understand that what's really going on in our head about I'm not a good Christian, maybe I'm not a Christian, is not from God. That tape playing in your head that says you're not good enough to go to church, that you're not good enough to talk to God, that you're not good enough for Jesus, is not from Jesus. That's the enemy trying to convince you you're not for real. And why would he gain from that? You turn your back on the faith. You don't live into your faith. You don't share what you got going on with others because you think you don't know enough and you're not good enough. He's paralyzing a soldier. That's not from God. And we buy into the lie that we're not good enough. Now, does that mean, oh, then I can go do whatever I want because God's going to forgive me. I think we talked about this last week. Paul goes, are you kidding me? Paul says, when I sin, then grace abounds. So should I sin even more so that grace can abound even more? Of course not. That's not how this works. It's not a license to live how you want. It's a, it's a, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ. But it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. If the way we address this is by seeing ourselves the way God sees us, then you can take some encouragement from knowing that God loved you enough to die for you. That's how he sees you. He sacrificed himself for you. He thought you were worth dying for. Not good enough? He thought you were worth dying for. Second thing you got to do to kind of correct this spiritual vision of yourself is you've got to become aware that your spiritual growth really isn't all up to you. <laughs> it's really not just up to you. Part of the reason we struggle with how people see us or how we feel about our spiritual walk is we assume it's up to us to be perfect or to be good. I'm not going to do this anymore. This time I mean it. Two weeks later, I'm not going to do this anymore. This time I mean it. <laughs> Next Lent, I'll give this sin up again. You know what I mean? And that's how we kind of live in our spiritual walk. Look, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Face plant. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Face plant. <laughs> is that, man, I don't know about you as a pastor, I'm confessing that's my spiritual walk, right? I'm married. I'm going to be loving, more gracious, more supportive of my wife. Face plant. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to be more patient with Matthew. Oh, well, we'll try that again tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, it's just the reality of the Christian experience. I know what I'm supposed to do, it's a struggle. If I'm trying to do it all on my own power, I am going to struggle. 
and I'm going to rinse and repeat that cycle of trying again harder and trying again harder. And by the way, that is spiritually exhausting. And you need to hear a pastor say, yes, you are supposed to become more and more like Christ. Yes, you are supposed to resist temptation and flee the other way. The scriptures tell us that. But the scriptures also say that when you fail to do so, if we confess our sins, God is gracious to forgive them. But even more than that, 2 Corinthians 3.5. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our competence is from God. Our spiritual life competence, ability, doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. Our ability to resist sin is not solely up to us. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist temptation and to change. In fact, to change. The verse I read about new creation, where do you think the new creation comes from? Where do you think the new heart comes from? It's not from your track record. The Holy Spirit's giving you a new heart that's able to resist sin. And then he's not going to go, okay, now you can resist sin. Good luck. Have fun storming the castle, you know. No, the Holy Spirit is walking with you in that effort to resist sin. And when you go, hey, this one's a struggle. Could you help? It's not like God's going to go, no, I want to see if you can do it this time. Or here, let me throw a couple obstacles in your way and see how you do. That's not how it works. In fact, the Holy Spirit's just waiting for you to go, I can't do this one. He's longing for you to go, I submit, I surrender, help me out. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace, this is God talking to Paul, by the way. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I, and Paul says, so I will boast all the more gladly, excuse me, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, that's when I'm strong. This passage immediately follows Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh that he's trying to get rid of. This thing that's chasing him and plaguing him, we don't really know what it was. He's asked God three times to get rid of it, and God has God, this is how God answers him. Paul says, take this away. God says, no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, dude. My power is made perfect in the weakness that you're carrying around with you. For when, you're, when Paul is weak, that's when he's strong. Why? Because it's not Paul being faithful. It's not Paul doing the work. It's God. God often chooses underdogs. Have you ever noticed that when you read Scripture? The last born, the least likely, the goofy fisherman in the boat, that didn't make the cut for church, you know, whatever, that didn't make the disciple role at, at the synagogue, God chooses the person least likely to do it. Oh, that's him? He's like the seventh son of the seventh son. He's out, we put him out in the field. These are all the cool sons. Like, that's how, and then that's who God chooses. And so when we have this part in our heart where we go, I'm not good enough. I can't measure up to Jesus. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. God goes, perfect. That's where I want you. Because when you are weak, that's when my power is displayed. That's when I'm glorified. 
Because when the underdog pulls off the miracle, we don't give credit to the underdog. We give credit to God who did it with him. <laughs> he did that. She did that. That's who God chose to transform Mississippi State University. That guy. We're stunned. We know it wasn't him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we know it wasn't him that did that. That dude's a screw up. Wait, wait, wait. That's who led all those people to Christ? That's who did that, that impossible thing that nobody else could do? God was involved in that. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you look at your own spiritual walk and you go, I'm not good enough. I'm not very good at resisting temptation. I, I, if anybody really knew my faith walk, they'd think I'm not a Christian. Then I read verse 10 again. Therefore, I'm content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. It's not weakness in terms of inability. It is weakness really in terms of submission. It's the, hey, God, I can't handle this. Hey, Holy Spirit, this temptation's back. You've seen me face plant a few times. Could we work this out for good? This time I'm ready. I'm ready to put this behind me and live in to being a new creation. If we could do it on our own, we'd be full of pride. Hey, look how Jesus-y I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look how good a prayer I am. Look how good a Bible teacher I am. Look how perfect I've been this week. Right? We'd be full of pride. If we can do it all on our own, A, Jesus wouldn't have to die. If we could live the way God wants us to live all the time, we wouldn't need Jesus either. And we'd be full of all kinds of pride. But if we allow God to do it inside of us, we're actually full of the Spirit. If we allow God to change our desires toward this sin, if we allow God to change our heart toward this sin, then what we're full of is the Holy Spirit. Because we're inviting Him to make us into a new creation. Our spiritual growth is not completely up to us. Now, we definitely participate in it. Because the next step comes, okay, Charlie, that is kind of me. I do kind of walk around like I'm a fake Christian. Y'all, everything's happy. And I'm miserable on the inside. What else? What, what are we going to do about this for real? Like, what do we do? Well, competence at anything comes from practice. This Sunday was Children's Sunday up the hill, right? And you got the kids, the little kids led worship, okay? They did the announcements. They did the Apostles' Creed. They did the whole nine, man. It was, it was a fun display, let me tell you. Transitions were awkward. You know what I mean? Like somebody missed their cue. Somebody, somebody repeated their line five times. It was all over the place. But they're little kids. And we go, oh, that's so cute, sweet. <laughs> we deliver all kinds of grace on that performance. Why? Because they're kids. They're doing the best they can. You know? It's awesome. It's awesome. But whatever level of competence they had came from all the rehearsals that led to this morning. Can you imagine the train wreck if they just said, okay, kids, y'all are leading service today. <laughs> There's no telling what would have come out of their mouth, right? And so if you're a person who is carrying this around and going, man, I am just not sure about Jesus and how this works, or I'm still failing, then maybe it's time to put some practices in place. Because spiritual practices, just like athletic practice, prepares you for game day. If you're inviting Christ into your life and you're spending time grounded in Scripture 
and you're spending time doing spiritual practices, then you are more competent when the challenge hits. You're more, you're more capable when the temptation is there. If you're winging it, that's the results you're going to get. If you're trying to do it all by yourself, that's winging it too, by the way. If you're trying to do it on your own spiritual power, that's the results you're going to get. But if you're also a Christian from, 10 to, from 11 to 12 on Sunday and maybe 5 to 7 on Wednesday night, if the Mississippi State Bulldogs practice football from 11 to 12 on Sunday morning and 5 to 7 on Wednesday night, what would the SEC schedule look like next year? Right? <laughs> if that was the only time the football team practiced, those three hours a week, what would the rest of their week look like, especially Saturday? And yet we sit there and go, hey, Jesus, uh, college students were faced exams this week. I've said it, I've heard it said this way too. Your, your grades are perfect, your, your study habits are perfectly designed to give you the grades you get this week. You can say it, put it in a spiritual context. The spiritual life you are having right now, wherever you are in your faith walk with Jesus, your spiritual practices are perfectly designed to give you the relationship with God that you have. If you spend three hours a week with Jesus or ten minutes a week with Jesus, it's perfectly designed to get you just as close to God as you are. You can't not. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 puts it this way. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it lays out what our faith walk ought to look like perfectly to me, at least when I read it. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, it doesn't even use the word Savior here. It says, as you've accepted Christ as Lord of your life, continue your life rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. But wait, I'm in Jesus. Continue in the faith, rooted. How do you build anything up? You practice. Where do you root yourself? You have to ground yourself in scripture, prayer, and worship. Remember, this is a conversation on the road to Emmaus. The, faith, the Christian faith is not meant to be an individual walk. It's meant to be, this is, what you were, like this is what you were talking about a minute ago, we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. So if we try to live it in isolation, we're not even living into what the Christian faith was meant to be. We're living into a diminished copy of it, a weaker copy of it. We're supposed to be connected to the body of Christ. Why? Because when life hits us like a truck, we're not alone. We're not alone. Somebody else can pray for us. Somebody else can come alongside us. Somebody else can hold us accountable to this sin we're trying to walk out of, which empowers us to do it. We're supposed to be grounded in that stuff. Because notice it says this, just as you were taught. One of the, this, this is a soapbox, probably unrelated to the sermon, but when you became a Christian, what were you taught about how to live in the faith? We do a great job of getting people to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit may not abandon us, but the church tends to go, here's your Bible. Go have fun following Jesus. Figure it out for yourself. I hate that. We're all per Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not good at that either. I'm calling myself out, right? But if you think back to your faith walk, who taught you how to follow Jesus? Or even better, if you're going to live into this passage, who's teaching you to follow Jesus now? Who's in your life that's speaking truth into it, that sees the area you need to grow 
and helping you actually grow. If they didn't do it when you first started, you definitely need it now. <laughs> you think you can get that outside of church? I mean, maybe a digital source, but you're not getting it outside of church. But who do you know that knows you well enough to know, this is where I see you, <laughs> you need a little boost there, buddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's calling that into your life? Who's speaking that into your life so that you can continue to be rooted and built up and become more and more like Jesus, just as you were taught? So hear it this way. Our worth, our grounding, and our comp- even our competence comes from Christ, not from who we are. Not from our own ability. Not from our own understanding, even our own understanding of who we are. But our image, our, the way we see ourselves is we have to see ourselves the way God sees us. That's where our value comes from. That's where our worth comes from. Our grounding comes from God's word to us, our scripture, the scriptures. Other faith Christians who have insights into scripture that share them with us. That's how we grow. And even our confidence comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a passage, one of my favorite ones, Paul says, I think it's Paul. Paul says two-thirds of the things in the New Testament, so it's a safe bet. <laughs> that when we don't know how to pray... The Holy Spirit prays for us. If you're one of these people who prompted this conversation about our faith walk that says, man, they can really pray, I can't, I feel less than, the scriptures go, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Pretty sure the Holy Spirit can pray better than the guy you're comparing yourself to. (laughs) The comparison, we have to stop comparing ourselves to each other's faith walk and help us walk in each other's faith walk. Because they may be good at praying. I might be good at Bible. They may be good at serving. They may be good at worship leadership. We've all, that's, this is 1 Corinthians 12, right? We are part, is what you said a little while ago, we are part of a body of Christ. Some of us are good at this. Some of us are good at that. That's not an excuse not to do this. It's just an upfront confession that somebody's going to be better at preaching than somebody else, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you're less than. Somebody's going to be better at praying. Somebody's definitely going to be better than singing. And I'm okay with that. Will can blow me away on the microphone. You don't even want me to try it. But I'm still secure in Jesus just because I can't sing like Will. doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it, but you get the, you get the compare. We do these comparisons. And all we're doing is I'd like, maybe, and if that's a goal where I'd like to be, cool. But if it's a, now I'm less than, then that's the enemy. If it's something I'm working toward, hey, I'd really like to be able to pray like them. Ask God. Seek out other people who pray like that and learn how to do so. But don't go, I'm not a good prayer. I must not be a good Christian. Because that's not where your value comes from. Our ability to grow spiritually comes by the grace, and this is what I've been saying, our ability to grow spiritually comes by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit when we open ourselves up through spiritual practices. Part of the reason we have to be grounded in practice, spiritual practice is we have to look at the scriptures and go, I don't want to read into scripture what I want to say or what I want to see. I want to, the scriptures to read into me. I can prove almost anything with the Bible. If I'm coming to the scripture looking for, hey, here's a proof text for this. You know what I mean? But if I allow the scripture to tell me what the scripture is trying to say to me, then I have to submit to what it says. That's harder. That's much harder to do because it might tell me that I'm doing something 
I'm not supposed to be doing. And I don't like that. <laughs> that means you've got to change it. Then our growth is not complete. You're not finished. And honestly, you're probably not going to be finished until you're standing in front of Jesus. It's not like, yeah, I've done three years in a church and I prayed a prayer. I'm a full Christian now. You're going to be growing in Christ and struggling with this stuff and putting, and putting sin and putting sin to death and putting on the new self and putting off the old self until you're standing in front of Jesus when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You kept up the fight. I like to quote Paul a lot. You can say, I finished the race. That's the metaphor Paul used. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have done what God has called me to. I'm ready to be with Jesus. If I die, it's gain. If I stay here, it's gain. That was Paul's attitude. Man, it'd be awesome if you became a Christian. You're just in heaven. That'd be sweet. But God's got work for us to do to grow, to become more like him, and to invite other folks into that so they can go down the, further down the path with us. It's a, it's a walk on the road to Emmaus with the Holy Spirit and with each other. Let's pray. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song of response. And then we're going to take communion together. So let's pray. God, this is where it's at. What is happening in our heart? So we confess, we submit, we admit that we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot be good enough not to need you. And even though we have you, we still feel like we're not good enough. So Lord, my prayer is that we would see ourselves the way you see us. My prayer is that you would empower us to pursue you and to resist and put to death the old. That you would encourage our hearts when we fail and that your power would be made perfect in us. In Christ's name, amen.